I'll share a verse to you in uh, 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. <coughs> I was reading this verse to the uh, young men at Teen Challenge, and I was explaining to them about you know being born again, because uh, we read John 3, end of John 2 and 3, when Jesus talks about that we must be born again, and and he said that to people that were actually following Jesus, who had uh, who had some kind of an attraction. When they saw Jesus performing signs and wonders, they were coming to him, and and it says in that scripture that Jesus wasn't entrusting himself to them. And one of those guys that was there was Nicodemus, of course. And Nicodemus, he uh, he obviously had a lot of understanding and wisdom of the scriptures, and he actually confessed that Jesus was a man from God. And Jesus said to him, you must be born again. And uh, so when I was talking to them about born again, I explained to them that the scripture here, uh, 2 Corinthians five seventeen, that it means that we become, it's like starting your life all over again, you become a new creation. It says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. It says, the old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. So I said, you know, Jesus is, he describes things very perfectly when he talks about what it means to be born again to enter the kingdom, because he uses the picture of, you know, we understand when you're, when a baby is born, we see this child and that baby is perfectly innocent. They've never, they haven't done anything. They have no records. We know that they're born with sinful natures because we all have that sinful nature, but that a child out of the womb is the most innocent thing that is on the face of the earth because they, they haven't done anything to really sin aside from the fact that they have that nature they haven't really sinned and so when we're born again it's it's just like that it's like it's like I said can you imagine starting your life all over because these guys you know in Teen Challenge they have some of them might have records some of them have a history they've been maybe been in jail they've gotten uh, you know they've, they've committed crimes they've had uh, judgments upon them and things and they've had a messed up life and so They've either been rejected, maybe some of them have been kicked out of their homes, maybe some of them left their homes. And the reason that they're there is because they all have a need, they all know that their life is a mess and they have to change. And so they've humbled themselves to say, I need help. And when they hear things like, you know, can you imagine having a fresh start in life and like starting all over as if you had no, no simple past, every crime, everything was just like wiped away, like it says here, all things... I become the old things have passed away. I said, that is what it's like to be born again with Jesus. I said, it's like God looks at you and he sees you as an innocent child just born fresh from the womb and you just become like a baby ready to be, you know, to, to learn from your parents and to grow up and to be nurtured and, and cared for. I said, that is what we have to, how we have to come to Jesus. If we come like, you know, Nicodemus or thinking that, you know, sure we've done some things but we're, we're not that bad. We're pretty good. Pretty good people. We can't enter the kingdom that way. Even if we have a revelation that, you know, this guy, he must be a prophet, or they, they thought Jesus was, he was somebody, right? A man of God. <clears throat> that didn't fool Jesus. He did not entrust himself to people just because they wanted to follow him. Lots of people followed him, but he was looking for people who could understand that they were sinners, that they would be, that they knew that they needed to be born again. They had to fully surrender their lives and come to him. And so when we come to Christ, this is what happens is we become new creatures because we 
we humble ourselves and we recognize we, we need Jesus. And when we're born again, <clears throat> yes, there's these there's these benefits of kind of he wipes all our sins clean and it's like we're starting afresh. But there's also this surrendering of our self life because you can't you can't come to Jesus to be born again and have a fresh life if you want to carry with you your your self will and all your own ambitions and desires. That's not part of the condition. It's being born again means we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. And so Paul, when he's sharing this with these Corinthians, he said, if you look just a few verses before that, look what he said in verse 14. He said, For the love of Christ controls us. So, what, what do you suppose was controlling him before Paul was born again. Remember, he was just like Nicodemus. He was so zealous man. He thought he was a very righteous man, doing all kinds of good deeds and, and keeping the law and in his own mind. Yet he was a very angry man. He lost his temper often, from what we see. He got enraged. And uh, prior to becoming born again, Paul was, he was controlled by himself, his own life. He controlled his life. And that was the difference between him being born again and him being a religious person, was that he controlled his own life. And so when he got born again, he said, now now that I'm born again, he said, the love of Christ controls my whole life. Can you imagine that if we had this kind of influence every day, this kind of awareness, where when I woke up in the morning, I just thought, you know, what's the love of Christ telling me today? What's he asking me to do today? It's like something else is motivating you. It's, this is what the Bible calls, you know, first love. And then in the Revelation Church, he says, we, he said to them, you've lost your first love. And it's like, you wake up and, and the love of Christ is like, I want you to, this is what I want from you today. And, and the love of Christ moves you to do things that are not because of your own desires. And he said, the reason that the love of Christ con- controlled him is because he concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. So since Christ died for me, We've all died with Christ. I, Christ died for me, therefore I'm, I'm fully surrendered to Him now. My life is not my own. He said very clearly in the next verse, And He died for all. What this means is, is that they who live should no longer live for themselves. That is the root, right there, of a person who, uh, who might be maybe a religious or, or a good person, but, but is not born again. They're controlled by themselves. So when they get born again, the love of Christ controls them. As Paul said, when Jesus died for me, I realized what I did and I died with him. And now, he said, it's the love of Christ that controls me. I'm not living for myself. He said, I'm living for him who died and rose on my behalf. And obviously, Paul had this constant awareness of this in his life because you see from his life, life here in the scriptures that he never did things for himself. He lived for the gospel, even to death. He would, he would live to be persecuted for Christ, to die for Christ. And he's the, one of the greatest examples that we have in the scriptures as a follower of Christ. And he was the true disciple. And, but, you know, Christ called every one of us to be disciples. And when we're born again, we have to follow Christ to be a disciple of him. And that means we die to our own, controlling our own life, you know, it's, it's so easy to, for us to fall back into controlling our lives and still trying to be a Christian and still control my life. 
That's not a born again. That's not the, the that's not the character of a born again person. A born again person, according to these scriptures, is a new creation, who's who surrendered life for his life for Christ. And that is death. It's a death to our self life. And so when Paul, when this happened to Paul, one thing that he actually let's let's go to this verse here. He's described it very clearly in Galatians. Galatians two twenty. I have some notes on the side of my Bible that talk about self-sacrifice when it says here we should no longer live for ourselves. And in a reference here to this verse, <clears throat> sometimes if you have like a reference Bible, it's nice because it will give you these little verses on the side of your Bible that will direct you to different passages and I, I find them useful and they, and they connect sometimes. And you can read these passages and say, oh Lord, this is what it means to, to, uh, to be a new creation. And Paul said... <clears throat> Galatians 2.20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. So you, when you die, you can't control yourself anymore. Right? So when you die, you can't get angry with someone because they messed up your time schedule for the day or it took a little longer to, uh, to do that job than, than it normally took or, or somehow something went sideways. And so when we get frustrated, it shows that we're in control of our life. Because somebody took advantage of my time or, or, you know, now I have to have this extra problem or somebody put a more burden on me, at, you know, at this work or something happened. You know, when we're, when we're dead and we're crucified with Christ, it doesn't, those things don't matter because everything we do is we're doing is unto the Lord. And Paul said, it is no longer I who live. I no longer control myself. But it's Christ who lives in me. That is the evidence of a born-again person is when Christ is living inside of us, we can have such peace. We can have such, as Joey was sharing, contentment. Because nothing around us distracts us or, or manipulates us to make decisions to try and, you know, uh, make my life a little more easier or um, maybe try and deal, deal with irritation. I think, of, for example, a good example is uh, the story of Mar- Mary and Martha. Remember Martha was doing all those good things? Right? She was doing good things. But Jesus specifically said that her sister Mary was, had chosen the better part. What was the difference? I think the difference was this. What we're talking about here is that Mary kind of was wanting to do all the right things, but she was still in control of her life. And the evidence was, was that when Mary wasn't helping her, and, and maybe the food was, was getting burnt, or the dishes or the table wasn't set, she was getting a little uptight because her sister wasn't helping her. And she said, Lord, tell her to help me. And Jesus recognized the little irritation there. And that irritation was evident to Jesus. That she, although she was doing all those things, she was not surrendered to Christ because it was evident that love in her was producing this uh, frustration. That, that wasn't a pure love like what Mary had where she was sure there was things to be done. I'm sure they had to eat dinner shortly. But Mary was more interested in what Jesus was saying because she wanted to hear those words and she knew that she had a love for Jesus. The love of Christ was in her so much that she'd rather sit there and listen to Jesus for a few minutes and let the food maybe get a little overcooked or let the table or let the big guests have to wait a little longer. You know, sometimes we think I've got to do all these things. I've got to do this, I've got to do this, do this before I can do all those other things. But Jesus, he wants us to say, you know what? All those other things have to get done. But he clearly said, you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all 
add those things to you. Don't worry about that. And he said to Martha, why, why are you so worried and so bothered about so many things? Right? So where does this worry... If you, if you find yourself um, getting worried and anxious or bothered, often, say that these scriptures and these passages can show you clearly whether or not you've fully surrendered and died to your self-life or, or that area where you're controlling your own life. Because if we're thinking that we're still serving Jesus and we love Him but we're in control of our life, we get deceived. We can get so deceived and, and we need to understand that Jesus is looking for us to choose the better part. Where we die to those things. And you know what? That anxiety and irritation and all those things can be left behind. They, they can pass away. And we can be like Paul. And we can learn the secret of contentment. And, and we can find strength. And it doesn't matter if things don't maybe, maybe get done. You do the best that you do. But you seek first His kingdom. Because you love Him. And the love of Christ controls you. Paul said... Um, again in verse 20 I've been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live it's Christ that lives in me the life which I now live in my flesh so so when you're born again the, the interesting thing is is that you become a new person but you're the same person on the outside someone will look at you say you got born again one day well the day before someone would look at you and you look the same the next day they would see you you look exactly the same but you know what someone who was a Christian would look at you and they would see something different because they could see. Maybe even the unbelievers would probably see it because eventually they would see something about you. On the outside, you look the same, but on the inside, you would have a kind of grace in your life that you wouldn't have had before because people would see, you're, why aren't you getting uh, upset with me or frustrated or irritated? You're not anxious anymore. You're so, you have so much peace on you and seem to be joyful and you're just always got joy on your face and nothing overwhelms and you don't seem so, so burdened and stressed like everybody else. That's the difference between a born-again person and someone who can't handle those problems. This is, this is like what Jesus was distinguishing between Mary and Martha. There was a difference. He still loved them both. But he clearly said, you've made a, bad cho- a wrong choice. There's a better choice. Come sit and just listen to the Word of God. Let the Word of God just cleanse you and give you some peace and joy in your heart. And then you can go and do all those other things. It's not that you can't do them. The priorities are wrong. So Paul said, I'm in the flesh now. I'm the same person, but I'm not living the same way. I'm living, you know, how was he living his life? What do you think he was doing? It says here, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by the same faith that Jesus lived by every day. I live it. I don't go by what I see anymore. I don't get stressed out by what I see. I don't get burdened by all these things. I live completely by faith that God knows my problems. God knows the my struggles, God knows my weaknesses, God knows my needs, I want my desires, and so I'm just going to choose to live by faith, it doesn't matter. I trust Him. That's what it means. To believe in Jesus means that yeah, you trust Him. So it doesn't help to say that I believe and read my Bible around so well, if I don't ever trust God with my life to surrender it, then I end up living my own life. And that doesn't interest God. He's not interested in those. If you read in John 1, you know what it says? It says, as many as received him, he gave them the right to be called the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of men. In other words, yeah, they were born naturally, but he didn't accept them as children of God just because they were born of the flesh or the blood. He said, no, when they, as many as believed him, the ones that came to Jesus and they believed everything he said, they trusted their lives to him, 
He gave them the right to become born of God, it says in John 1. In other words, they were born again because they entrusted their lives to Jesus completely. That's, that's what it means to be born again. So we entrust our lives to Jesus. <clears throat> and so Paul, he lived his life in faith. And, and you have to. You can't entrust your life to Jesus if you don't believe in his words. And you don't believe in him. Living by faith, that's what that means. When Jesus speaks to you through God's word and you read the scripture, you don't just read it, but you actually say, Lord, I want to believe in this word because it's faith that gives us victory over the world. We can't, it's impossible to please God without faith. It's absolutely impossible. And so Paul lived by faith. <clears throat> and when he lived this way, we go back in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, in verse 16, I want you to see this, this is important. He's not living for himself anymore. But he said, from now on, 2 Corinthians 5, 16, we recognize no man or person according to the flesh. What does that mean? So we're talking about the person on the outside versus the person on the inside. So he says, now that I'm born again, now that I'm living for Jesus, when I see people, I don't see them like, oh, that's my brother and my natural brother and that's my natural sister and that's my best friend and that's my boss and that's, you know... I know that person and I know this person and I treat my boss this way and I treat my brother this way and my mom and dad I treat this way and uh, that person is very important. I always treat them this way. And He says, we don't recognize people according to who they are in the flesh, born in the flesh and the blood. You don't say, well, that's my best friend and therefore I, I have to do this or that. No, it says, even though we have known even Jesus Christ came in the flesh as a man, from now on we don't recognize him that way because Jesus has died and rose again. He's in the spirit. And so when we recognize one another, we recognize one another in the Spirit now, as brothers and sisters. And that is the very reason why when Jesus was talking with his disciples, remember what happened? His, his mother and brother even came to him? People, you know, this is like, if this happened in front of us today, we would say that is not, that is insensitive, that is not right. Here Jesus was, his mom and sister came, and like, they want to talk to you, your mom and your brother are here. And he said, who are my mother and my brother, he said. He said, those are the ones who hear the word of God and obey it. He said, those are my real mothers and brothers and sisters. If you're wondering what this means, that's exactly what it means. It means when Jesus recognized his mother and brother in the flesh, he didn't say, oh, excuse me. He was teaching with his disciples, like having a Bible study, and someone came out the door here and said, my grandpa or my grandma wants to talk to me. And I said, they came down and said, it's important, they want to talk to me. I say, sorry, uh, my grandpa and grandma's right here. I'll be there in this in a minute. You guys would say, what's this, what's this problem? My parents are here. I couldn't use them as examples. <clears throat> so, you know, this is, this is what it was like. His mother and, and brother and sisters were there. And he said, no, they're right here. Because these are the ones who are listening to my word and they're receiving what I'm saying. This is my spiritual family. Because when, when it's all said and done, in heaven, the ones who are brothers and sisters are the ones who hear God's word and do what it says. Who believe in Him. And Jesus made that very clear. So he gave priority over his mother and brothers or his friends and all, all those things. He gave priority to the ministry of the Word of God and what his father was telling him and those who were coming and fellowshipping him. He said, that's most important for me. So I can't recognize people that way anymore. When we're born again, even though we're the same on the outside and, and your mother and your brother and your sisters and your father and your friends will all look the same, they'll all be the same, you know, those relationships can change. Those relationships will change 
And all those things won't be the same because you're born again again in, in Christ Jesus. And something else is controlling you and they'll wonder what it is. And some people even tell you you've gone too far or maybe seems a bit cultic or stuff like that. And sometimes that can even happen. But we can tell them that it's the love of Christ controlling us. And you know what? We've made Jesus Christ a priority now. And that's more important than anything else. And if you read, you just read about the men and women of faith. Go through Hebrews 11 and read about their lives. And you see if they made anyone else priority besides Jesus Christ. What did Abraham do? Abraham was given a promise that he would have a son. And that was something he desired. But when he looked according to the flesh and saw his son, the promise, he said, you know what? God gave it to me. He said that, that I would have descendants. But now he's asking me to sacrifice him. And he said, the love of Christ controls me. I'm going to make this sacrifice. And he was willing to even sacrifice his only son, which he loved. That was, the, that was the thing in his life which he loved more than anything else. And he demonstrated to us what it means to live by faith, by sacrificing his only son and trusting God. And he trusted God so much that God said, now I'm going to bless you greatly, more than anyone else. And this, uh, up until that time, no one was blessed like Abraham. And God did it because he loved him more than his own son. So when we look at this verse and it says, we recognize no man according to the flesh, we have to understand what it means to be a disciple, what it means to pick up a cross and, and deny ourselves and no longer live for ourselves. If Abraham was our father of the faith, we have to say, Lord, help me to live this way. Help me to live with the kind of faith where I don't recognize people in the flesh anymore, but I say... Who is my mother and my brother and my sister? So, here's an example of of a born-again person, of a new creation, of what it means to be controlled by the love of Christ. I want to share uh, another example about this. Actually, uh, I was talking with a brother yesterday about this passage in Luke 5. It kind of fits in about someone uh, someone who is controlling their life before they met Jesus Christ. And the person I'm talking about here is Peter. I saw this, it was a little, came a little clearly as we were discussing the scripture yesterday. Um, it, it came clear to me what the root kind of sin was here that Jesus was able to pinpoint and to expose in Peter. And it was that Peter really was controlling his own life. He wasn't born again yet. At this time in his life, he was he was kind of an upright person. He was he was waiting for the Messiah. They knew about this Messiah, but he was controlling his own life. The love of Christ had not yet controlled Peter until this point in time, and that's the reason when Peter says, "I'm a sinful man," he he got the revelation right there at that point in his life that he was in control of his life all the way through up until that time. Because I've always wondered what was it that he saw that he was such a sinner. He didn't, you know. What did he do? There's no way, if you read this, you, can, you can't identify a blatant black and white sin here. But if you read it carefully, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I believe it, it's clear here that there is something, because the reason I say this is that when you go back at the end of the ministry of Jesus, when, when Peter and John are there, remember when he was fishing in the boat and Jesus told him some things? What, it's the same story, right? When Peter got discouraged, he went back to taking control of his life, and he went fishing again. And then at the end, when Jesus said, do you love me, remember what he said? Do you love me more than these? And then he began to talk about, 
You know, he said, Peter, there's a time in your life, he said, when you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will put clothes on you and take you places where you don't want to go. When I read that, I realized all Peter was, his biggest root sin was he wanted to be in control of his life and do, and still be, you know, still wait for the Messiah, still serve Jesus, but he just wanted to control his life. But Jesus said, Peter, the reason I'm calling you to be born again is so that you, you lose control of your life. You stretch out your hands and I'm going to put clothes on you and I'm going to take you places where you don't want to go but you have to just be willing and say yes Lord whatever you say I will do so let's look at this story here when Jesus came <clears throat> this is the the time when Jesus was calling his first disciples okay so this helps me understand what it means to be a disciple Jesus is calling disciples here and we know the Bible says that Jesus commands us to make disciples so we have to be disciples of Jesus so here Jesus comes the multitudes are pressing, and they're all listening, verse 1, to the Word of God. Everybody's listening to what Jesus has to say. It's like being in a Bible study. It's like going to church. right? But Jesus is looking around, seeing who is the one that's willing to surrender all for me. Who's willing to follow me and be my true disciple? So he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, and but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats. It's interesting, Jesus saw somebody's boat, and he just just jumped into that boat and whoever's boat it was and he said take me out and then, so one of them it's, it happened to be Simon's boat Peter he asked him to put it out a little away from the land and he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat isn't it interesting how providentially Jesus ends up in Peter's boat there and as these guys were coming in and he just says take me out and Peter takes him out <clears throat> so when he had finished speaking he said to Simon Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. What? After his teaching, he's telling Peter to go and let's go fishing, Peter. Let's go and catch something. But look at this. Look what uh, Simon Peter said. He answered, saying, "Master, we we worked hard all night and we caught nothing. But at your bidding or at your word, I'll let down the nets." And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the boat, and they came to help them, and they all began, the boats began to fill to the point they began sinking. <clears throat> when Simon Peter saw that, okay, he saw something here, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And they were amazed because of the, the catch of fish. And also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners of Simon, Jesus said to Simon, he said, Do not fear, from now on you'll be catching men. i got a, change, a life change for you now, Peter. It's like, you're going to radically change your life. You're not going to be a fisherman, you're going to be making, you're gonna be making disciples. You're going to be fishing for men. And when Peter heard these words and what he saw, what Jesus had done, it was enough to convince him to let everything go, and he followed Jesus. At that point in his life, it was just like, he had, maybe he had a, some kind of a, uh, a job or something laid up for him in store for him, you know, an opportunity from his dad. But at that point, it didn't matter anymore. It was like, what does this matter? Look what Jesus can do. If I follow Jesus, he can supply all my needs. So did Jesus uh, get him to catch all those fish so he could be a rich man and sell all the biggest uh, load of fish he'd ever gotten as a commercial fisherman and go to the market and just make a load of money so things could be easy for him? It sounds like he just left everything right there. And just, well, you're right. I don't know if you guys watched that uh, animation of the Jesus, what's it called? 
He lived among us. Man, if you watch that, it, it describes it so well. Because they, they talk about, they show this, I never saw it before, but they catch all these fish, and they're talking about like how great, and, and then Jesus is like, follow me, and a couple of them follow him, and, and Peter's there, and he's like, oh, and he's just, he's counting the cost, like, man, I could, I could really get a lot of money from this fish, and you can see he's thinking about it, and he's like, oh, man, and he just lets it go, and he runs with Jesus, and he leaves it all behind. And, you know, sometimes we read this, we don't see the full picture, but I thought it was very good, because you could see that he was like making a decision there. And you know, this is the difference, you know, some people, they get prayer and they get healed. Or some people, you know, they cry out to God and God blesses them. And then they think, oh, I'm so blessed. And they're just, they're so content with their blessing that they forget actually what he's done. And they don't follow him like Peter did here. They kind of go back and they try and make a living just with their blessings. You know, but that would, that would be like just a prosperity gospel, right? If we just went to Jesus because he blessed us. Well, this is the gospel that I see in the scripture. I see Jesus blessing them. But to teach them something, to say, Peter, if you listen to me, I can, I can bless you, I can give you everything you need and more. But more than that, I want you to follow me. And Peter said, okay, I'm going to do it. And he left all that behind. He didn't even go, he, you know what they say, right? Do you seek the, the uh, creation or do you seek the creator? Do you seek the blessing or do you seek the blesser? That's what the Bible says. We're, we're supposed to worship the creator, not the creation which he gave. And Peter was able to understand that Jesus was the source of all that. And he said, Lord, the first thing he said is, I'm a sinful man. Because, you ever been in a place, can you imagine, uh, he's working all night, so he, he fished all night. He didn't get, a, it sounds like he didn't sleep. He says here, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. Okay, can you imagine uh, saying, okay, I got all these plans for my life, you know, I really want to do all these things, and you work hard, and you work hard, and you work hard, and you do all that stuff, but you're never satisfied at the end of it. That's what it was like for Peter. He was in control of his life. He did all the things that he thought he was supposed to do. But he had, he had no, no fruit out of it. No fish, no nothing. And when Jesus said, Okay, Peter, now do it the way I say. He just listened to me. And Peter, and Peter listened to him. He said, Okay, whatever you say, Jesus. And when Jesus told him to do it, he did that. And that is when the Lord showed him. This to me is a perfect example of what it means when Jesus says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you I see him I see Jesus fulfilling this right here I see Jesus teaching Peter that if you let me control your life this is the th- kind of things I can do but I'm going to give you something more than the fish I'm going to do what, what I did here but I'm going to do it with men will that, will that excite you more? right? getting the greatest job and you know wow making some good money or or how about God gives you an opportunity to share about Jesus with one person, right? Maybe two, maybe three. I tell you, I get excited. When I go on a team challenge. The first day I went there, it was one person. And then two, right? And then a few weeks later, there is three. It's all because of the Lord. We pray as brothers and we say, I say, brothers, pray with us because we want to see souls. And then one day there was nine brothers there. And then now there's about half a dozen. They come regularly. They're excited to come. And I'm just praying, Lord, just draw more, you know? And then you're excited because you're catching men. And I, we don't want to see them lot. We want to keep them on the hook. We want to keep them in the nets. We want the boats to sink eventually, right, in our church. But we're not there yet. But we want to see what Jesus said here. He said, I will make you fishers of men. And I, and I pray, Lord, teach me how. Sometimes I don't how do I, how can I do this? You know, i sure I know some scriptures, but same for you. You can be a fisher of men. All you have to do is 
Just be willing to be a disciple, willing to let it go. What controlling your life. If you let go of controlling your life and you say, God, you control my life, you will make you more happy, more content, more full of joy. As the Bible says, he'll give you a hundred times more in this age and the age to come eternal life if you if you follow him. And that's what I see Peter. Now, I want to share something with you that I talked about here at the end of Peter's life. He was tested again in John 21. I think I gave you the wrong passage last time. It's John 21. <clears throat> John 21. Let's look here. This is this is the time when uh, three years later Jesus had died and been raised and kind of he wasn't around so much. But he Jesus told him, "I'm not going to leave you as orphans." Peter kind of saw that he was a bit of a failure because he had denied Jesus at this time, but the Lord is dealing with his pride and his ego, and he was being humbled. And so what did he do when he got in a place of discouragement? Same thing you and I would do, right? You go back to what you know best. Now, Peter was known as a, he's a good fisherman. It's You go back to what you can do well. I can do this, and it makes me feel good. So I'm going to go fishing because I feel good when I go fishing, and maybe you'll just take interest in that because it's, you know, some a little excitement there. So the other guys said, we're going too. We're kind of discouraged and we're going to jump along with you. And verse 3, John 21, 3. And same thing happened. They went out the night and the cat caught absolutely nothing. And I praise the Lord that he allows these things to happen. So take note for yourself. You're trying to do something or work on something or fix something. or And guess what? It's not happening the way you want it to happen, right? Everything's going wrong. Why is this in problems? It's not happening. And we're praying and nothing's happening. And God's trying to tell you a message. But we're missing the message because we don't understand what He's trying to show us. We're, we're trying to control our life, but we forgot the calling of Jesus. And so now the day's breaking and there's Jesus just waiting for us to look up, lift up our eyes and, you know, get a message from Him. He's on the shoreline. But the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. And it's just like when a trial's in your life and you don't know it was it's Jesus, actually. Right? You don't know that it's actually Jesus who's allowed the trial in your life. That's why James James knew about it, because he had been through it. He was one of the guys in the boat here. That's why he wrote James 1, verse 2, that says, Count all joy when you encounter various trials, because God's just testing your faith. James learned that from experience, and that's why he could write about it. And Jesus was there, and he said, Children! I like how he calls them children, because it means they got some more growing to do, right? This is like his children. And he said, Do you have any fish? He said, no, we don't. we got nothing. And he said, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find a catch. It's the exact same words. It's like, okay, we're going to do the test again. <clears throat> you know, we talked about how sometimes when we, we fail those tests or we go back, we have to go and do those tests again. And Jesus, it's a test. Here, try this. So they did it. You know, the good thing is, is that if Jesus tells you, and even if when you failed or you got discouraged, if you're willing to listen to him, he'll, he'll give you a revelation in it. And that's the, that's the one thing with these brothers here is they had enough poverty of spirit that when Jesus told them to do something, they didn't, in their ego, say, hey man, we've, we've done everything we can. We're done. We're coming in. It's, no, I'm not doing it. And we don't want to be stubborn. They said, okay, we'll do it. So they did. They cast their nets. And the disciple there from whom Jesus loved said to Peter, hey, he, he recognized those words. Cast your net on the other side. He said, wait a minute. That's exactly what Jesus said the first time we met him. That must be Jesus. And he said, Peter, it's the Lord. 
And Peter just rolled himself again and jumped in the, in the sea and swam all the way to get to Jesus. He just was so excited, you know? It's like he had been discouraged, and I think he got some encouragement. Jesus is here. And he jumped in, and the other disciples came in the boat, for they were not far from the land. So, Because now they had caught this huge number of fish, and uh, they saw it again. Jesus still showed them kindness. He still told them, this is what I can do. And they came in there, dragging this you know, net full of fish, when they got to the land, there was Jesus, and he had a fire made, and fish placed on it, and all these things, you know. Isn't that just what we just read? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's like, you can work hard all night, catch no fish, right? All you have to do is just surrender and say, Lord, am I doing this in myself again here? He's already got a nice piece of breakfast there waiting for you. You try to catch fish for your family and get some food on the table, and Jesus has got the fish already prepared. And he's got more in the, in the nets for you for a long time to come. And he could, he's there, and I like how he's just even taking care of their, their breakfast for them. Isn't that encouraging that Jesus knows that if you're hungry for breakfast, you got the breakfast ready for them, even though they work so hard. When we work hard on ourselves, it produces zero in us. We have to repent and say, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man or woman. We have to recognize that as a sin. When we control our life, Peter saw it. He said, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. I'm in control. And I've been in control. And now I know that I'm not even worthy of you. Jesus said, it's okay, Peter. You, you follow me. You come with me. And I'll help you. I'll change your life. And they even counted the fish. They obviously, we were pretty excited that they had to count how many they got. There's 153. It's written here in the Bible. And Jesus said, come now, have breakfast. And they came. And then Jesus gave him a little teaching. He said, Peter, now this helps us understand what we've been talking about all tonight about when we're born again and what Jesus is looking for. Does he want us to be born again so we can be saved and go back to living our life? Absolutely not. Peter came there and Jesus had something to say to him. He said, okay, are you ready to, are you ready to write the examination? Here it is. Get your pen and write, start writing. Here's the first thing. Question. Jesus said to Simon Peter, verse 15, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? See what I just did here for you? Look at all the things I can do. I know you're excited. You counted all those fish. All the way to 153. It's very exciting. But now I'm asking you a question. Do you love me more than these? Lord, he said, you know I love you. Okay. Prove this. Do you love? If you love me, he said, go and tend my lambs. I got people that don't know as much as you do who don't know the left hand from the right hand, they need help. And you are here fishing, and I've called you to follow me. He said again, Simon, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, I love you. He said, shepherd my sheep. Go and make disciples. Go on. I spend some time with you now. You go and you lay your life down. And Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. I'm not my own anymore. And he said the last time, Simon... Verse 17, Son of John, do you love me? Are you just like a friend to me? And he, Peter was grieved because he said the third time, do you love me? That's a different word. Uh, phileo, I believe. Or <clears throat> yes, phileo. So, are you just a friend, right? Are we a friend, just a friend of Jesus? I know acquaintance of Jesus. Or are we, do we have an agape love, like a, a surrendered love, like Paul talked about, where the love of Christ controls us? That's not just like a friend. Like my friend's over here, and I'm going to go meet... No, he's more than a friend. Jesus is more than that. 
And Peter knew what he Jesus was saying. And he said, You know all things, Lord. You know I love you. And he said to him, Then you, you come and feed my sheep, right? Don't control your life. I, I'm going to get something for you to do. And he said, Truly I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Okay, so what does this say? When we're baby Christians and we're younger, we still kind of get, we do the things that we want for ourselves, right? Isn't that what it says there? You gird yourself, that means you do what you want. But a, a disciple in Jesus, one that is not just a child that's growing, will, will more and more learn to deny their own desires and, and desire to say, Lord, what would you have me do? They're going to be seeking out the kingdom of God. They're going to be seeking, what is your will for my life? What is your calling in my life? Because I know that is what it's going to mean to love you. That's the definition of loving God, is according to what Jesus is saying, is if you love me, I have something for you. Well, maybe we're talking about feeding sheep. Some people have specific gifting or ministry to disciple in this way or that. But it could just be to bless somebody that you wouldn't normally be thinking about. It could just be to go and help someone or encourage someone or, or whatever that God has for you. Some way God has something for you where it's not about you, it's about His kingdom. And of course, Peter was wrestling with this, and he said, because it says here, uh, <clears throat> first in verse 19, signifying, by saying these things, he was signifying the death that Peter would die, but would you glorify God? And when he spoke in this, he just said to him, Peter, he said, follow me. I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't done. Peter, you want to be a disciple, you have to follow me. And he turned around, and he saw John, John's the one who loved him, leaning, the one who was leaning on his breast that one time, he said, uh, Lord, verse twenty-one. What about that guy? You know, how come I? How come you're always asking me to do hard, hard things? It seems like you know, we got a little wrestle. Because what does the flesh want to do when when it says, "Well, call, come follow me"? We want to compare ourselves. What about that guy? He's not doing it. How about her? She's not doing it. We can't think like that. That's what Peter is doing. And Jesus said, "If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? It doesn't matter what I've asked that person to do. What that person is doing, you just do what I." Asking you to do, Peter. And so, <clears throat> this is the testimony that Jesus left Peter with before he departed to make Peter a fisher of men, to go back to the very thing he called him to, to give him a reminder of when Peter, the day Peter said, Lord, I'm a sinful man, depart from me. He was in control of his life, and I want to <clears throat> encourage you from this. And it's an everyday thing, because I want to be in control of my life too. Right? There's certain things that we like to do and things, but if we really want to love Jesus and please Him, if we really want to know what it means to, for the love of Christ to control us, it looks like this. And this, these scriptures can encourage us to say, Lord, I'm not there yet, but Lord, help me. Help me to do Your will. Help me to cast, I've been casting this, working hard all night, and it hasn't really been satisfying me, but help me to just cast my net on the other side, so to speak. Help me just to listen to Your Word and to trust You. And if you do that, it will produce in you a changed life. You'll be that new creation, like Paul talks about. You'll be, your attitude will change, like Mary. Not the way Martha was, but you'll have this different change, right? We won't have to be frustrated and irritated and upset with our neighbor because we'll know it's the Lord. He's, he's just refining me. I need to learn to trust Him. And the blessing of God will be greater than all the, your work, all your efforts and striving. God will bless you in ways that the spiritual riches that we read about earlier, we talked about, which come from Him. Amen.